0: Bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. God bless you, and we're excited you're here uh, because I believe God has a purpose for you today. I'm excited to see what God is going to do in your life and what God is going to do in my life, and I'm so glad that you're here to worship the Lord with us. Thank you for those of you that are joining us this morning in person and online. God bless you this morning, and we're going to go into the reading of the Word of the Lord this morning. Before I do that, our Sunday school can be dismissed. They're going to have a great class today. Age 3 to SK and grades 1 through 8, we're going off to their class this morning. God bless our Sunday school teachers. Their sacrifice and dedication is awesome to the kids and to the Lord. Praise God. We're going to be looking in our Bibles to Mark 4 and verse two 33. I'm going to be speaking to you from the word of the Lord this morning for a few minutes and then we're going to have an opportunity to respond to the word of God. And I'll be doing that by inviting you to come worship and pray here at the front while we sing a few more songs. It's a great opportunity to take what we've heard and let God work on our hearts a bit. And uh, you say, Pastor, well, coming to the front is awkward and embarrassing, well, if we all do it, it won't be that awkward. And uh, it's good to move out of your seat. I, I don't want to push you hard, but I just want to put it out there. It's good to, when you come out of your seat, you get out of your comfort zone just a little bit, and you can worship the Lord and, and draw close to Him. Um, your, your, your motion, your forward motion of your body it just has some kind of effect on your mind, on your spirit. It's, uh, there's nothing super special about up front here, but it's nice when we pray together. And so we're going to have an opportunity to do that, and you're welcome to pray in your seat. And then uh, we're going to worship the Lord with our giving at the end. But let's turn to Mark chapter 4, verse 33. And the Bible says, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. We're going to talk about God's secrets. God's secrets. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Thank you for praying and worshiping and responding to the spirit of the Lord. Everyone loves a good secret, right? 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 I, it's hard to resist when someone walks up to you and says, well, No secret? <laughs> or how, how about this one? Can you keep a secret? The answer to that question is always yes. And many of us have to repent for lying <laughs> because we don't always keep the secret. Right? We go, well, we're just going to tell one person. Right? We're just going to tell our spouse. Just going to tell them and, and, and then I'm going to ask them to promise not to tell anyone else, right? But that's, that's, that, that secret thing is so, oh, it's just intoxicating, right? You, you, you hear about a secret and you want to know what is the secret. Uh, that, I mean, that's the pull of every, every, everything that's covered up. You kind of just want to uncover it and see what's inside. The library sometimes puts together bags and they put a a big paper bag, white paper bag of kids books and a big question mark on the bag and you can check out the bag and you don't know what's inside because it's a secret, it's supposed to be a surprise and it's so, it's so fascinating I'm I'm like 37 years old and I want to see what's inside the white paper bag. I know it's just kids books and probably none of them I'm going to like very much. But, oh, what's in that bag? It's a secret. Well, tell me what it is. I just want to know what the secret is. And and they say psychologists did did a study on secrets, and they said that it actually has a powerful effect on the body, almost like a weight, a weight that sits on your mind and weighs you down. Uh, And and, and some secrets are good, right? There's the, the surprise birthday party, and there's certain people you cannot, you know who it is in your mind. You can't involve them on the secret until the day of, because they are they are like a colander. They will leak and let out everything. They're they're not sealed. Uh, they are they are they just can't hold on to that secret. Um, but but the secret has this powerful effect. There's the good ones and then there's the bad secrets, right? And There's actually 33 categories, according to these psychologist studies, there's 33 categories of secrets, and everybody has almost 18 categories of secrets in their life. Almost 18 of those 33 categories, the average person has 18 of those 33 different types of secrets in their life. And some more, and some less. And some secrets are, are really... They weigh you down, right? They're things you don't want anybody to ever know about your life. And isn't it funny, though? Once, you may not have experienced this, but but I've, I've found that, and of course, your, your, your personal secrets aren't for everybody to know, but once you share that thing that you thought, if anybody knew this about me, they surely would throw me out the door. They would never want me around. Uh, there's something wonderful about when you share that with someone special and they love you anyway, right? They know your your deep, dark, dirty secret, but yet they, they love you anyway. And that's a powerful thing. That's a wonderful thing. I can help ease the burden of those secrets. But the, the Bible tells us about God's secrets. God has secrets by the way. There's things that God doesn't share with everybody. Now, everything is in his word. Everything is there. But the understanding of those things doesn't necessarily go to everyone. And and, and we we see this in Jesus' teaching. The Bible says, without a parable, he did not speak to the people. He concealed his teachings in a story. And so for those who are hungry to hear They would understand and then they would seek for greater understanding by coming to Jesus. The word parable means placing two objects together, usually for the object of comparison. They're short stories, usually fiction based on reality, that have a moral or a a, a teaching element to them. The Jews see, they had this. They had this really big conception, misconception I should say, of what the kingdom of God really was all about. In the Jewish mind at the time of Christ, if you said the words kingdom of God in their mind, they would have seen the Israel nation becoming strong, powerful, and overthrowing the oppressive Romans, the Greeks, and ruling the entire world. And many of them thought that the kingdom of God was going to be the restoration of the kingdom of David. And that Messiah that was coming, that was prophesied, was going to wipe out the Gentiles, wipe out the the non-Jews that oppressed the God's people. And and they they would establish, this Messiah would establish his kingdom. And so when Jesus, when his disciples realized jesus is messiah the one that we've been praying for the one that we've been waiting for and he's called us to be with him they were they were floored they were their minds were blown because jesus was asking these the the dregs of society really the fishermen the 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 tax collectors the the just the average individual to be part of his kingdom and so they argue amongst themselves often about which one of them would be most important because you want to know, right? You want to know if your if your Messiah is going to set up a world government, you got to want to know in your head who's who's going to be on top. I mean, someone's got to be in charge. Someone's got to be I know Messiah's in charge, but he can't be in, he can't be in charge over everything. He's got to delegate authority. So, which one of us is going to be top 3? Which one of us is going to be, uh, you know, top two? Which one of us is going to be the one of the twelve? And they were constantly fighting and arguing. Even on the night when Jesus was crucified, their conversation around the table was, which one of us is the greatest? Jesus, knowing the truth, wanted to confront their misconceptions about the kingdom. So he used parables, and he disguised the truth, in a story. He he hid the truth, if you would, like a seed in the ground. Covered it up with with common dirt. Common tales. Common stories. He took the valuable seed of the word and and hid it in the ground. And he disguised it for his disciples. And so Jesus told many different parables. Parables. The parable Jesus tells that that we're going to read here in just a moment is found in Matthew chapter 13. If you want to turn there and follow along with me, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. I think it's important for us to see this story because it is one of those groundbreaking secrets of Jesus. It's so cool. When you see this, it's, it's going to be fun to explore this, this secret, God's secret. Matthew 13, The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Now, you have to get, the, you read this in today's Western context, you know, the, without the Jewish culture flavoring the backdrop. And it's not very funny. This this is just kind of like an okay, so he found a treasure, he covered it up and went and bought it. Okay, big deal. But to Jesus' audience, this would have been one of those caricature stories that that highlighted everything about the Jewish culture that was kind of quirky and funny, that it would have definitely created a good old ripple of laughter through the crowd. It would have been funny because, legally speaking, if you found a treasure and you found it in a field that did not belong to you, you were legally obligated to go and report that to the owner of the field because he might... Sell that field for something more than what he would have if the treasure wasn't really there. It'd be like, you know, if you had iron ore in your your field and you didn't know it, or oil and you you sold it, you thought it was just junk land. It was, you know, you couldn't do anything, you couldn't plant anything on it, you couldn't farm anything out of it. Um, So you thought, you know what, I can't even build a house here. It's just not in the right location. I'm not going to worry. I just want to get this field off my off my hands and I won't get the most money I can. But you didn't know that there was oil under the field. Now, if someone comes along and finds oil, now that field is so much more valuable than it was before you found... Do you see what I mean? So, Jesus is funny. Jesus, this is Jesus, right? This is God manifest in the flesh. Is telling the story of this man who finds a treasure in the field, and instead of going to report it, he covers it up and then goes and buys the field as is, proving his shrewdness. His, you know, and this was this would have been like, yeah, that's characteristically Jewish, or that's that's just like that. Yeah, I would do that too. <laughs> you know, they're elbowing one another. Like this is this is a good story. This is funny, and I know none of you are laughing because it's not funny to you. But this is just so you know, it was really funny to them. They thought it was hilarious because it was it was uh, it was. Kind of, kind of pointed out the, the quirkiness of their own culture. But I love it because Jesus takes the quirkiness of their culture to point out something about the kingdom of heaven that they did not understand. See, many try to say that in, in when they explain this parable, Jesus is telling the story of a sinner who finds the gospel, who finds Jesus, who finds the word of God, who finds Uh, Christianity, and they come across it like a treasure in a field, obscure, hidden, kind of off the beaten track, not not in the most prestigious part of town, but just you know this idea that the gospel was something uh, like a treasure in a field, and the sinner finds it, and they 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 give their whole self. To the kingdom of God and if you're going to come into the kingdom of God, you got to sell out to God. You got to sell all that you have and and pour yourself into the kingdom. But this is not, I think, a, a very good interpretation of this parable. I don't think that's what Jesus is trying to get across. Because number one, the gospel is not for sale. You can't go and buy the kingdom of God. You can't go out there and liquidate your assets and bring in your million dollars, whatever you're worth and put it on the table of God's uh, of God's economy and say, see, I'm gonna, now I'm going to buy my way into the kingdom you cannot earn it with good works you cannot do enough works for the poor you cannot fast enough you cannot pray enough you cannot give enough money away to earn one day you cannot have a day pass into the kingdom of God through anything that you can liquidate or sell. Because the gospel's not for sale. Acts 8 and 20. Peter rebukes Simon the sorcerer because he tried to purchase the gospel. He tried to purchase the power to fill people with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee. Because thou thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. See, the church has already been purchased. If you look at the scripture, Acts 20, verse 28 says, Take ye therefore unto yourselves and unto the flock of God, which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. Feed the church of God, which he, Jesus, hath purchased with his own blood. See, this is not a story about a sinner finding the gospel. This is a story about Jesus finding the church. This is not about uh, about us finding God. By the way, you didn't find God. God found you. God wasn't lost. You were. I was. He wasn't the one that was found. He wasn't the one that was discovered. It was me. I was lost in sin. And Jesus took me in. We sing that song. Then a little light from heaven filled my soul he bathed my heart with love and wrote my name above so just a little talk with him makes makes it right because jesus is the one who finds me see it was jesus who found me it was jesus who discovered me and and what jesus has to say about the kingdom is that it was like a treasure hidden in a field we see in hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 Looking unto Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sit down at the right hand the throat of God. Jesus gave everything and purchased our salvation. And the Bible says he did it with joy. He didn't find pleasure in the crucifixion. You really couldn't do that if you tried. He didn't find pleasure in dying on the cross, but he did find joy. You know there's a big difference between pleasure and joy. There's a huge difference. Pleasure is the feeling you get when you play a video game. Joy is the feeling you get when you paint a picture. Because when the video game is done and the bleeping sound stops, your brain automatically goes into a a, a deprivation feeling. uh, there's There's no sounds giving me a little shot of of pleasure, because those all those noises, all those bleeps and bloops, when you play a, a game on your phone, you know, Bejeweled or whatever, uh, Farmville, whatever you all like to play, and, and you know, you're waiting for something, Pac-Man, whatever, maybe nothing, maybe you're not a, a addicted to cell phone. maybe you look on social media, and it's the scroll, right, it's that scroll, whatever it is, that, and, and I'm just using one element, there's all kinds of different things that bring that pleasure right listening to music brings pleasure right but when the music stops the pleasure stops the endorphins that are released in your brain stop flowing because the pinging and the dinging and the little rewards that come stop and you have nothing to show for what you've done but if you if you take the, the time to write a song to paint a picture to build something to construct something to make a meal that brings you joy Because it it has a lasting effect. Have you ever done the hard work of painting a room? And you thought, oh, this is going to be an an afternoon project, no big deal. And you get started, and it's like five, six, seven days later, and you're still working away at it. And and it, it is frustrating, it is agonizing, it's dirty, it's sweaty, but then when it's done, man what is that 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 feeling lasts a long time and every time you walk back into that room that you painted there's a little hit of joy there's a little hit of pleasure why because it lasts longer than the temporary things that give you pleasure jesus did not enjoy the cross it was dirty it was painful it was agonizing but it purchased something of eternal value that every time Jesus looks at the church, uh, he experiences the euphoria of joy, the feeling of joy that lasts over and over and over again. He was cunning and shrewd. Jesus was like the man who found the treasure in the field and then he buried it up. He covered it up. He concealed the thing that he discovered He discovered the church. He discovered you. He saw you and he found you. But then he covered you up. He did not reveal you to anybody. And he went and he gave his whole life to purchase you. The kingdom. We know that Jesus was cunning and true just like the man in the story because in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 it says we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God had decreed before the ages of our glory. Notice, he said it's a secret and a hidden wisdom. What was the secret and hidden wisdom? None of the rulers of this age understood this for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If the Romans knew that 70 years after, or sorry, roughly 300 years, 70 years after Jesus was when Jerusalem fell, but about roughly 300 years after Christianity came on the scene, the Roman Empire would begin to crumble and collapse and disintegrate at the seams, largely due to the influence of the church. If they had any clue that that Jesus being crucified on the cross would ultimately spell their demise. They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If the Jews had understood who Jesus was and what he was there for, the Bible says they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And if the rulers of this age, Satan... And his kingdom. If Satan would have understood that crucifying Jesus on the cross was not a victory, but it was his actual defeat. If Satan would have realized that he would have kept the crucifixion as far away from Jesus as possible. Isn't it fascinating? Think about it for a minute. God's timing. God was able to manipulate the situation. He was extremely shrewd. Now, did, did God create the 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 heinous acts of the crucifixion in order to redeem the world no that was that was the byproduct of human sin but god waited until the right moment in history there's nobody being crucified today to my knowledge at least not in the in the mainstream world there i'm not saying that there's not heinous kinds of murders and acts i'm sure there is done even to christians today you don't have to you can find some of that information online um and and there's the the modern day martyrs, martyrs in in countries all over the world for the gospel that are suffering greatly for their faith in christ so it's not that it's not happening today but crucifixion is not not really a thing in the mainstream world it's not a government instituted capital punishment any longer but here is God waiting until the perfect moment in history to be born of a woman. The Bible says when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son to be born of a woman, to be born under the law, and ultimately led to his crucifixion on the cross. All of that was, was perfectly orchestrated. Why did Jesus go about doing his ministry and time to time He's said, don't tell anybody I just healed you. Don't tell anybody I delivered you from a demonic spirit. Don't tell anybody I raised you from the dead. Just keep it to yourself. Keep it quiet. Because he had to to orchestrate his timing properly. If things would have been released too quickly, too soon, it would have expedited his path to the cross, and he needed to wait for the right particular moment. Isn't it interesting? Jesus was crucified on the Passover The same day that the Jews celebrated Passover is the same day that Jesus was crucified on the cross. His timing was perfect. God manipulated the time so wonderfully that if Satan and the rulers of the age would have known the significance of his time and the significance of the moment in which he was crucified, he would have never crucified. Just like if the guy would have known the treasure that was in his field, if he would have known it was there. He would have never sold it for that price. But the man was shrewd. He found the treasure. He buried up the treasure again. He went and purchased the field with everything he had. And Jesus just left the story there. Never gave the explanation to the crowd. Because to those who were listening would have begun to understand. And those who didn't want to hear the truth and were looking for a way to pin him to the floor would have found no, nothing to hold on to. It's just a story about a guy buying a field. But Jesus reveals another secret. He continues along this line of, of selling and buying. Matthew 13, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On. Un- who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it? Now, this is slightly different from the previous story. The previous story: the man found a treasure in a field, buried the treasure, bought the field. In that that story, Jesus was illustrating the shrewdness of the man buying the field, like Jesus was shrewd in allowing himself to be crucified at the right moment to redeem his church now we we see jesus is now the the merchant he's the merchant looking for the specific pearl looking for the finest pearl he's on the hunt for the best pearl The merchant knew what he was looking for when he entered the marketplace. Before the other story, the man found the treasure by accident. In this case, the the merchant is exactly, he knows exactly what he's looking for. He's on the hunt for the pearl of great value. Like in the story before, the treasure is the kingdom of God. In this case, the pearl of great value is the church of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says when the merchant finds the pearl, he sells all that he has, and he buys this one singular pearl. Again, a humorous ripple echoes through the crowd. Because what merchant liquidates all of his assets? What, what, what jewelry uh, aficionado sells all of their other pieces of jewelry to buy one single pearl? And that's kind of funny. That's kind of like the, that's, that's, that's kind of odd. Wow, this must have been some kind of pearl. This must have been something of extreme value to warrant shedding all of your other assets and treasures. You know, they say to you have your eggs in more than one basket. Don't put all your stocks in one place. Diversify, you know, spread your spread your investments out across the spectrum. But but Jesus says, no, 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 no. See, you have to understand. This pearl is of such great value. This is this one is so special, so amazing that everything else pales in comparison. It's worth liquidating every other asset. financial opportunity, every every property, every investment, every, every treasure and pouring all of it into this one singular pearl. He emphasizes the value of the church. The value you are to God is of such great value that he would liquidate everything in heaven and on earth to purchase your salvation collectively. This is the value of the church. So it is, when anybody comes into the church, your value increases exponentially upon receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost being baptized in Jesus' name, being being filled with God's Spirit and living a life that your value increases exponentially. You may not be worth much according to Royal Bank of Canada. You may not be worth much according to the stock market. You may not have the... You may not be able to carry a tune in a bucket. I, I mean, you, you probably can't do a lot of things as far as the world is concerned. You may not have all the skills... That this world has. But the moment you become part of the church, you become part of something that God would liquidate heaven and earth for. You become part of something that God yes. places the greatest value and the greatest treasure on. And it is so wonderful and special to Him. You are so wonderful and special to Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich yet for your sake, He became poor. God, who spanned the heavens with His hand. The Bible says He stretched up the heavens and He measured the entirety of the universe. All of the galaxies and the stars and the expanding universe, the Bible says, is measured by God's pinky and thumb. The tip of His pinky and thumb measures out the universe. The God who Flung stars into space with his spoken word. Many of which we have never seen, only get glimpses of. And who knows if we're really getting the full picture of what's really out there. Became a man. Manifested himself in flesh. And allowed humanity to treat him. and, And by the way, when Jesus finally came to the earth. Unlike the Greek gods, the Roman gods. Who, when they became human, took on grand um, muscular forms, right? You you just look at Greek pantheon, and they they carve and chisel these these guys and these girls out to be the, the, the epitome of human physique and beauty. And and modern movies that, that, that tag on to these stories, they use the, the most handsome men in Hollywood and the most beautiful women in the film industry to depict. These individuals that were gods taking on human forms. But when your God took on human form, the Bible says there was nothing attractive or beautiful about him. Jesus was not the handsome, chiseled, jawed, long, flowing, sleek-haired dude that you see in the movies. Jesus was the average individual that if you saw him in a crowd, he would never stand out as the most attractive. He was a carpenter, so he was a tradesman. You ever shook the hands of a tradesman? They're hard, solid hands, rough with work and labor. Maybe broken a finger or two, and now they have a crooked finger. My Uncle Harold has a crooked finger because he was mowing the lawn one day with the big uh, 62-inch mower. This was... Back when they when they sold the Ferris three thousands and they were three wheels. There was a wheel on the back and two wheels in the front. And you turned it by turning the wheel in the back and it would turn the mower. It wasn't these sleek, you know, zero-point turn mowers you see today. And and he forgot to put the parking brake on the mower, jumped off to grab a piece of garbage, and the mower slid right over his finger. And my, my uncle Harold was kind of he's a farm boy, so he holding his finger on it holding his finger onto his hand walks into the school dripping blood everywhere and and asked the secretary calmly said can you call the the hospital for me and she's like oh my goodness what happened and he took his finger off and his finger went (laughs) the mower almost cut it all the way off he was rushed to the hospital and they saved his finger but when he when he when he gets angry and he's pointing you it's that crooked finger and it's it's all crooked and twisted so when he'd get going at this crooked finger and he'd get so mad at my dad and he'd be yelling at him with his crooked finger my dad would just laugh at him and say you look like arnold bryson their dad who also had a crooked finger it's just this is the hands of a tradesman crooked and and, and bent with weathered leathery skin you know like jesus wasn't a, was a common individual He wasn't the epitome of human physique and beauty. He was lowly. He was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. But he grew up in Nazareth. And every time you see him in the New Testament, he's always referred to as Jesus of Nazareth. And everyone's saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Really? And and Jesus' birth was spurious because his his mother was pregnant outside of wedlock. Ooh, scandal. What a scandal that was. Do you see what I mean? He gave up everything. And when he got here, he didn't arrive in the the, the palace of Jerusalem. He didn't arrive in the best that Israel had to offer. He he arrived in the lowest place. He was born in the animal stable and placed in a manger where the animal eats. He was born in the lowliest place. Positions and raised in the dirtiest of cities to show that there is no low that God cannot pull you from and use you to accomplish His will. And He gave it all up, all of His splendor and majesty, to be buffeted and kicked and whipped and bruised and beaten by His own creation. Hallelujah. So that you might become the pearl that He was looking for. See, the Jewish mind viewed the Messiah as the triumphing Lord, much like the Greeks. They had their own hero, right? Superman, you might not know this, but Superman was created by a Jew and was patterned after the Messiah. Fits, right? All of his superpowers strong, laser eyes, x ray vision, you know, all these. Superman was patterned after Messiah. Nothing could defeat him. Nothing, nothing could, could diminish his, his ability. And when he was knocked down, they found a way to bring him back. This was the Jewish image of Messiah. Strong, triumphant, powerful. Jesus comes in lowly. Under the cover of of shrewdness. Mm-hmm. Found a treasure. Shh. I'm going to go buy it if anything. That's not the Messiah they were waiting for. Messiah would have said, I found a treasure and it's mine, and I'm taking it by force. Mm-hmm. Well, Messiah found the treasure and said, Shh, I'm going to buy it with everything I have. And Messiah was the merchant, you know, the nerd with glasses at the tip of his nose. Sorry if you wear your glasses down here. I'm not, I'm not calling you names, okay? But just that you know you ever seen a a real jeweler i mean a guy who knows his stuff he's not bedazzled and bedecked with jewelry he's a rather plain and simple individual and he's got his glasses and they've got little attachments to them and he you know so spends all his time looking at jewels he never takes those little magnifiers off his glasses so even when he does look at you he looks kind of weird because he's got these little buggy things stuck to his glasses Why? Because he's so busy examining the jewels for imperfections, trying to get, that's the merchant, that's the image of Messiah. Jesus is painting a picture of this merchant who's going around and foolishly selling all that he has to buy one little pearl. Do you want to to know what's cool about a pearl? If the church is a pearl, do you know how a pearl is created? A a pearl is so much different because it's not created like any other gem in the world. Most gems are created through pressure and, and rock formations and all kinds of cool things. But a pearl is a grain of sand or other foreign object that intrudes into the shell of a small creature, a mollusk, an oyster. And it hurts the oyster. It's painful to him. And so the response of that oyster to to alleviate the discomfort and the pain that if he allows this this shard of sand or glass or other foreign object to remain in his shell it'll create an infection and kill that thing so in order to prevent it from destroying it it secretes a fluid that coats the harsh sand and because it's like, you know, if you ever put something in your mouth and instantly there's saliva in your mouth, it's like a natural, you, you don't even control it. It just fills your mouth. You put a sour candy in and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're trying to swallow that saliva because there's something foreign. in your body. It goes, there's something in your mouth that's not supposed to be there. Secrete saliva. Secrete saliva. So the oyster feels that little grain of sand and says, secrete the lacquer. Secrete the lacquer. And it coats the pearl but the problem is the pearl just keeps getting bigger because the more the 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 object doesn't dissolve the object or take it away it remains there and the pearl just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and and by the way pearls are different colors there's black pearls there's white pearls there's pink pearls there's green pearls there's all kinds of different shades uh, of colors uh, that 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 pearls take on because of the oyster and what it feeds on and its condition and environment that it's in and the fluid builds up around the pearl until it is it is not a a perfect thing, but it is it is pretty round and smooth, and beautiful. Now let's look at this this again. The Bible says, "He Second Corinthians chapter five verse twenty one, He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we may be made in him the righteousness of God." See, Jesus came to the earth. And he saw man in sin and he took on man's sin and bore it in his own body our sin was an intrusion to christ it was a foreign matter to him the bible says he took upon himself our sin he took upon himself our sickness our disease our weakness And he was was punished, the Bible says, Isaiah 53, 5, wounded for our transgression. Because our transgression was like a grain of sand, a foreign object in him. And so what does Christ do? What does Jesus do to the sinner? He puts his righteousness around the sinner. He takes the foreign object and covers it. He takes the foreign intrusion into his kingdom. You are an intrusion to the kingdom of God. You you don't need to go very far in your walk with God before you realize that you're really not fully fixed. You're still making mistakes. You're still sinning. You still have sinful desires. You still have things that would lead you into shame and condemnation. But even with all of your intrusion, Jesus covers you. And then He covers you again. And then He covers you again. And as long as you stay in the Kingdom of God, you're covered. And then covered again. And then covered again. Why are you so valuable to Jesus? Why are you so worth so much to Him that He would shed His blood for you? you and give himself fully for you because he has covered you in his righteousness he's clothed you and every mistake you make that's a foreign intrusion into his kingdom he covers it so the more he covers you the more beautiful you become the bible says you become his workmanship created in christ jesus Christ sees us not as what we are, but as we someday will be presented to Him. A glorious church, Ephesians 5.27, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that should be holy and without blemish. See, Jesus sold everything He had that He might gain the pearl great price. That thing that has been coated and covered in His righteousness over and over. And with every addition to the kingdom, it's coated in a new fresh lacquer, in a new fresh covering, and becomes more beautiful than the day it began. What Satan would love to do is enter into the court of heaven and say, have you considered your servant, your Have you considered your servant Garfield? Uh, And he just goes down the list. Have you considered? Have you considered? Don't you know? The Bible says he's your your accuser. And he accuses you before God day and night. Don't you know what they did? Don't you know what they said? Don't you know what they thought? Hey, did you see the latest on, on their profile? You know, they have social media up in heaven too. And Satan pulls up your profile and says, see, now, see, the social media here on earth only shows your good stuff. But Satan has a social media up, up in heaven, and he finds your account, and he edits. It's covered with all your mistakes and failures. You see, see, see this latest post on their, on their profile? and What they said to that person on the phone, that, that telemarketer that called them right at dinner time? You see how they snapped at them? You see... Well, I guess now you're human in here, praise God. He, you see what they did there when they lied, you see what, how they treat you see that lustful thought they entertained and, and maybe they even acted upon you see what they did there, you see all that, and, and Jesus goes, but yeah, you know, I I, I did, but then they, they prayed, and now look, look at look at this record. It's covered. It's covered in something white. I can't, and it's opaque. I, I can't see through it. It's opaque. it's it's solid, I can't see through it, because we are now the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is, and we know that the Bible says in Revelation that the church was covered in the fine white linen of the righteousness of the saints, see when you come to Jesus and you are baptized in His name He puts on you the garment of righteousness, He puts on you that righteousness, that in righteousness. You remember reading about Abraham and how he lied to this king and that king and how he slept with his wife's handmaiden and how he he lost faith in God here and there, but you read about him in the New Testament and the Bible says he had flawless faith. He had perfect faith and never wavered in his belief that God was going to fulfill his promises. God covered over Abraham's unrighteousness with his righteousness simply because Abraham trusted God just to now for God to go, I'll cover the rest. Amen. Amen. When you have faith in Jesus, yeah. when you act on that faith by being baptized in his name, the Bible says that he remits your sin. Acts 2.38, you're baptized in Jesus' name for the remission. Remission means the removal of, the covering over, the forgiveness of your sins. When you go down in the waters in baptism in Jesus' name, this is chlorinated Ajax water. Ain't nothing special, nothing holy about this water. If I sprinkle you with it, you'll only get wet. But if you go down in these waters in Jesus' name in (laughs) obedience to the Word of God, there's something spiritual that takes place over the water. And the old baptism is buried. As a new man a woman rises up out of the water to walk in newness of life. You're now covered in the righteousness of Jesus and part of that great pearl. That pearl. Yes. Amen. Yes. You may have been told all your life you're not worth very much when you come into the kingdom Alleluia. of Hallelujah. You're worth more than the whole world. Amen. Amen. What should a man give in exchange for his soul? If he gains the whole world, but loses, mm. loses that pearl, what a great loss. Mm. What a great loss. Mm. Can we stand this mm. Do you want to be part of that church? Who are you anyway? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm the pearl. Mm. Look at your other neighbor and say, you're a treasure." Jesus purchased you Jesus died for you maybe you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost maybe you've never been baptized in Jesus name and you're hearing this and you're saying man this sounds like something I want to be a part of the water is 92 degrees Fahrenheit it's warm in the winter it ain't going to be that warm this (laughs) fast <laughs> the water's troubled. Hallelujah. <laughs> we have gowns. We have towels. We can help you out. Don't worry. You won't get your clothes wet. You can go down and get clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. You can be filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God speaking in through you with other tongues as the Spirit gives you utterance. God has something for you today, and maybe that's where you're at today. But God just wanted to remind you of your worth to Him. God has a secret. The secret is this world doesn't get it. The world doesn't get the secret. The world looks at the church and says, Well, oh, you're oppressive. You got all these rules. It's not very inclusive. It's it's rather, you know, there's a lot of bigotry in the church. There's lots of Lots of hypocrites in the church. The world looks at the church and says, I don't don't get it. I don't get it. Because to the world, it's still covered up with dirt. To the world, it's still an ugly old oyster. To the world, it's it's something not beautiful on the outside, but if you, you just let God pull the dirt back a little bit, you'll see, oh, there's a treasure. If you let God crack open that ugly oyster, have you ever seen the outside of an oyster? It's kind of nasty looking. It smells bad. It smells like fish. If you've tasted an oyster, maybe some of you like that. I I tried it, and I, I don't think I could ever do it again. But I can eat a lot of things, but oysters was not for me. Like salty snot sliding down my throat. No, thank you. It was not for me. To the world, that's what the church looks like. Dirty, not something they're really interested in and and spells back to Jesus he sees the pearl on the inside of that oyster to to Jesus he sees the treasure buried in that field you're a value to him today don't let anybody tell you you're not valuable. don't let the devil deceive you into thinking Jesus doesn't want you he doesn't care How bad it was, he's ready to cover it. He's a, his blood has not lost its power to cover and redeem and restore you. Would you find a place of prayer this morning around this altar, in your chair, in your seat, wherever it is that you're comfortable. I know I I made a draw and a push for coming around the front. I think it's good to do that as a family. We pray together. Would you find that place where you can communicate with God and let him restore value again. Maybe you need to repent of some things and find His forgiveness again. That's okay. This is a safe place to do that. There's no judgment here. Nobody's looking down there. Knows at you for having that. We're all in the same boat. We need the grace of God. We need the covering of Jesus over our lives to cover us and renew us and refresh us. Jesus, we need you Lord. Life Let's pray and talk to him this morning for just a few moments. No one else can touch my heart like you do. Oh, I could search for all eternity, Lord, and find there is none like you. Would you talk to the Lord today? Give him your heart. There is none like no one else can touch my heart like you do i can search for all eternity lord stretch our hands to the Lord and worship Him. reaching out to us God. Thank you for finding us Jesus. Thank you Jesus. The Lord has arrived. search for all eternity Lord can find thing that is done by your people. Be fruitful and prosperous, God. Put things into our hands that we can give freely to your kingdom and surrender to you, Lord. Help us to realize our value and put it to work today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Before you go, just a couple announcements.